Amen, amen. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Awesome. We're awake this morning. I love that. And we love God's word here at Harvest. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. If you want to get a head start there as we continue our Heart of the Matter series verse by verse uh, through the book of 1 Samuel. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, we have one for you in the back. We'd love for you to take that as our, um, as our gift to you. Um, we, we love you and we love God's word here. And whether you're here for the first time or you've been here a long time, uh, you are family here. And, but if this is your first time, we would love for you to fill out a card that's in the back of the, uh, the, the chair in front of you and just a way that we can follow up and pray for you. I see some new faces this morning. It's so great to be in the house of the Lord together with you. And so we would love for you to fill that out. Drop it in the box in the back where you can also put your offering um, where you can give online. But we would just love to continue to pray with you and get to know you as God continues to work here in a big way. Jesus is building his church, Amen. And his church is local, and it's also regional, and it's also global. We are one just distinct manifestation of Jesus building his church here, but we are partnering together with churches around the country and around the world for the building of his church. And I just want to thank you, church, and thank you for your prayers. Our family had a great time last week. We were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania about uh, two weeks ago um, at the East Coast. We're part of a church planning movement called the Great Commission Collective at the East Coast Regional Church Gathering. You'll see a picture of us and our families there on the screen behind me. And um, yeah, if you look at that, you'll see that craziness probably ensued, and it did. Um, we, we just, people, uh, pastors and their families from New York, um, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Maryland, um, and Virginia gathered, and obviously there were some other churches in the region who couldn't come, uh, but we're so thankful for the work that God is doing. Had the privilege of preaching at Mission last week, which is our sending church in Lancaster. It's our sister church, and I just want you to know they love you, and that they're praying for you, that they're with you, and we're on mission together for the glory of God, and so thankful for that, and how God continues to work in big ways. I don't know, on social media this morning, my, uh, I had a, I'd forgotten a little bit about this, but I had a reminder pop up that six years ago to this day was the first day I got to meet Pastor Andrew and Veronica. It was their first Sunday at Harvest when we were back in the middle school and they were heading to vacation somewhere and they stopped in at a service because we had planted a little less than a year ago and they were excited to see what God was doing and wanted to be a part of this movement. And who knew that God would have the journey to bring you guys here, but we're so thankful for you guys. And um, uh, they are just a gift beyond words and imagination from God to us. Amen. And uh, we're thankful for that. And along the way, they went to seminary and they, stu- they in Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Raleigh. They got involved at another GCC church, Harvest Raleigh. And we have one of their elders visiting with us today. And so we're super thankful for the Perry family. And we love having you guys here. We love Pastor Mike and Vanessa and their dear friends, Van and I. And uh, we just love just how God is working up and down the East Coast together for the glory of God. He's building his church. Amen. And it's bigger than me, it's bigger than our elders, it's bigger than any one person or any one ministry, and, and we see that. Um, and where he's building it locally, regionally, globally. We're going this week, a team of four from our church is going down to the Dominican Republic um, on mission for some of our global mission partners there. We have the opportunity to do some construction, uh, to do a church planting seminar. Can I tell you that God is stirring up a movement there. There are at least two opportunities to plant churches there. And so our job is to pour some Holy Spirit gas on that fire and uh, see what God will do. And so we're excited for that. And so uh, the Holy Spirit's going to move and just pray. Uh, pray for our team. We're going to have a chance to pray at the end of the service. Pastor Andrew's going to commission us. You see the, the folks that are going in your bulletin. You also see on your seats is this. It's a prayer card. It's a bookmark. I would love for you to take it. And each day there's some prayer prompts um, that you can be praying for what we are going to be doing down there. Uh, this trip is as much, if it's for everybody in this room and online. You're a huge part of this. And we believe firmly in the power of prayer. Amen. 
and it's not just the time to talk about it, but do it. We believe that when we pray, God hears, God moves, God answers, and if we don't pray, nothing else matters. And so we'd love to encourage you to take that home and, and put it in your Bible or whatever way and just continue to keep the folks in prayer as God continues to move. Well, Jesus is also building his church in other ways here. Um, last week, we had the privilege and uh, the bitter, bittersweet privilege of sending off uh, Bryce and Amy, and we love them and are, are going to miss them as they have traveled down to, to Florida for their next ministry assignment. And I just want to thank those that have, are uh, standing in the gap as part of our uh, leadership transition team in our, mini- in our worship and production ministry. So keep uh, David Yu and Amy Webster and Rebecca Acklin in your prayers as they lead us through this season of transition. And we have a great worship and production team, amen? I just, I just thank God for them, amen? Would you thank God with me for them? I'm super thankful for them. Thank you so much for their worship this morning. And um, I want to excitedly also announce that God has already provided our next creative worship and creative arts director. And so two weeks ago, Nate Pine and his family were here, Stephanie and Shasta. You'll see their picture on the screen there. And uh, we made an offer, the elders made an offer to them to join our church family and our staff, and they graciously accepted um, about a week and a half ago. So praise God, amen? That's awesome. I, we're excited that God is already moving and working. They're going to be here in mid-August. Pray for the transition details, a specific prayer request, if you don't mind, is for temporary housing. Um, they have, uh, especially they have, they have one child and two dogs, so pet-friendly home. If anybody knows a short-term rental in the area that will allow, allow dogs, let us know, and we would love to help them out um, And as God continues to move. So just to be covering all of that in prayer. God's moving, Amen. And there's a lot going on, and and God is so faithful. And I love the song that we sang this morning, that it is finished, right? That Jesus has provided the victory, and and on that we stand, amen? But the reality is, we're going to lean into a couple different realities today. One, that Jesus has a victory. Two, that life is hard. Is it not? And life hurts. There's a lot of hard stuff going on right now. And I think we just need to own that and lean into that. And, you know, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually, there have been some very, very significant losses in our church family over the last week or two of dear loved ones. Um, And so there are many people grieving today. Uh, Obviously, culturally, there's a lot of tension happening in the moment. And so there's just walking through that politically and all the things going on there. There are a lot of illnesses and sickness, work issues, family issues, relational tensions. But we're going to see from God's word today someone that can relate very much to what you're walking through. His name is David. And we're going to see how we can walk through this journey in a world full of hurt and experience the hope of the gospel. With the reality that it's hard and that none of us get it right all the time and that it literally is a journey. In some moments, I'm great and walking right in step with the Lord. In other moments, honestly, if I'm being really, really honest, I'm walking away from the Lord. My heart might want to follow the Lord, but my flesh is pursuing other things. And I don't know which way it is for you this morning, but I know that whatever you're carrying, whatever you're walking through, that hope is here for you this morning because Jesus is here for you this morning. Amen? We're going to find a guy in the name of David, this, that can very much understand what you're experiencing. He is experiencing broken family relationships, right? His father-in-law is trying to kill him. That's bad, right? Yes. He's experiencing a divided political climate. Literally, the king is trying to kill him. The nation is struggling of, am I going to follow Saul or David or what's going on here? He's got work issues. Saul was his boss and his father-in-law and his king. Hashtag complicated, right? He was experiencing enemies at any turn, not just from inside Saul, but outside the Philistines. 
the Edomites, as we'll see today. And maybe you're feeling like that way. Somebody once said, you aren't really crazy if they really are out to get you, right? Well, that's David. They're really out to get him. And maybe you walked into this room feeling like life is out to get you, or a particular person, or a boss, or a situation, or an issue, or a family tension. That's real. But David today is going to teach us how to navigate to God's, is going to teach us through the life of David, how to navigate through a hard life when life gets hard on both a heart level and a practical level. How the key is this, trusting God. But more than just the scripture that you put on your fridge, and maybe, maybe it's more than just a mug, it's about the heart of the issue. It's about the heart of the matter. How do I live a life actively trusting God at every twist and at every turn? It's a process. And we're going to see David's own heart journey today, not just from his practical, but on a heart level. We're going to couple a couple of the points from 1 Samuel 21 and 22 with Psalms that David wrote while he was experiencing these things. And so just like VH1 does like behind the music, we're going to get to see behind the man, right, today. We're going to get to see what's going on in David's heart as he's in a cave or on a run or as his life is in jeopardy or as he's people, and he's like, what did I do? I don't know what I did to deserve Saul chasing me. We're going to see him process these things. We're gonna, David's diaries, Pastor Andrew sort of referred to that last week in the office, and I was like, that's a really cool phrase. At the end of the day, it comes down to who you trust. Proverbs says this, Solomon writes this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. As windy as your road might be today, as many ups and downs as you feel like your life is, your path can be straight, but the key is this. You need to acknowledge God in all your ways. You need to trust him with all your heart. And you need to lean not on your own understanding. So question is, are you trying to solve your own problems? That's leaning on your own understanding, doing it your way. Or are you trusting God, not just with some things in your life, but I'm going to ask you right now, what is that major thing in your life that you are not trusting God with because you're afraid, because you're angry, because you're prideful, because you're scared, because you're hurt. Whatever the reason is, what are you withholding from God? And you're wondering why your life is spinning out of control. It's because this text says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not some of it. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he will make your path straight. So the question isn't, is God going to uphold his end of the bargain? He will. The question is, what are, are you doing, what God is asking of you today? What is trust? Trust literally, when you look at it in, in biblically in the, in the New Testament and Old Testament, is a bold, confident, sure security or action based on that security. Breaking that down is it's not exactly the same as faith, but trusting is what you do when you're overflowing, your heart is overflowing with faith. Trusting God is believing in his promises, his character, and then acting upon his word. No matter the circumstances or situations in your life, even when the fleshly evidence or earthly evidence feels the contrary, seems different, that I'm going to anchor in God's word, I'm going to obey it, I'm going to submit it, and I'm going to trust God with the rest of it. And as I told a friend recently, that's a whole lot easier said than done, isn't it? It is. Here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen. You'll see it in your text. That trusting God is with me and for me, sustains me in a world full of adversity, or difficulty and adversity. Trusting that God is with me and that he's for me sustains me in the world full of difficulty and adversity. When life gets hard, and let's understand and let's just call a spade a spade, life is hard. We live in a fallen and a broken world. 
Are you trusting in the reality that God is for you and that he's with you? And are you looking to God to sustain you in the difficulty and the adversity of your life today? And I believe that when you begin to choose to trust, and all of us have to choose not just one time, but every time, your life will begin to change. Not necessarily your external circumstances. They might be here for the rest of your life. The illness might not get better. The financial strain, you might not win a million dollars by the end of the month. But you will incur, you will receive what you really, really desire, whether you realize it or not, hope and peace and joy and hope that cannot be achieved and experienced outside of Jesus Christ and can only fi- be found in and through Jesus and the gospel, amen? Will you choose to trust in that today? Pray with me right now. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. As we walk through life, the difficulties, the ups and downs, the all-arounds, God, I just pray that you would forgive us for so many times. Forgive me that I don't trust you for a variety of reasons. And in these moments, God, I just pray, God, that you would forgive me and forgive us, and that in these next few moments that we have together, that through the power and the beauty of your word, that Holy Spirit, you would do what you promised to do, that you would convict and compel, you would encourage and exhort, that you would get to our hearts and that you would change us and never, ever, ever allow us to be the same again. God, there's hope in the name of Jesus, and we need it this morning. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of hard, but Jesus is our hope. And God, help us to anchor in that as we grieve, as we lament, as we wrestle, as we struggle, as we fight our own flesh, as we exist in the fleshness of the world around us. Help us to anchor our faith in you, to not live lives of fear, but to live lives focused on the reality of the gospel, strengthening and encourage by scripture and choosing to walk in the light that you provide through the son of Jesus and the scripture that you have written for us that is so very much alive and that stands even as the circumstances and situations of life come and go. God, thank you for your heart and thank you for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me if you would to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. Um, uh, setting this up over the last several chapters, we've seen, uh, and as Pastor Andrew so, so greatly preached last week, this, the impact and the effect of the snowball of sin and the safety of God's sovereignty. We've seen David displaying great faith, did he not, when he faced Goliath, when he said, Saul, come on, God's done it before. He, he, I was a shepherd, and, and he strengthened me to kill lions and, and bears with my bare hands. I can take this. God's already given it into our hands. Let's anchor in the promise. He, he hurled those same promises at Goliath. We saw David then after that ascend into the throne and to the intercouncil of Saul. And we saw Saul become, his heart become hardened, bitter, jealous, and sinful. God has already taken the kingdom of, Saul, of, of Israel away from Saul many chapters ago because Saul was not a man after God's own heart and lived in disobedience. And, and he'd already ordained David to take over that throne because he saw in David a man after his own heart. Samuel anointed David king but Saul tried to take it away physically. He tried to kill David multiple times, and now did we find David on the run for his life, confused as to why Saul's after him. And we pick up today in 21, right after Jonathan, David's brother-in-law, Saul's son, warned David to run. The rest of 1 Samuel, we're gonna see David on the run because life is hard. As you experience hard today, the question is, where are you running? Are you running to God, or are you running away from God? David might be a fugitive on earth, 
but we're going to find him eventually, the key word eventually, resting in the eternal faithfulness of God. When life gets hard, we're going to look at four heart choices that we all need to make today. In the process of trusting God, that will produce peace in our life even when the external circumstances of our life are uncomfortable, unfair, difficult, and adverse. The first is this, when life gets hard, I must choose to feast on God's mercy. Feast on God's mercy. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses one through nine. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, and Elimelech came to meet David trembling, and he said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Elimelech, the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place, and now then, what do you have at hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread at hand, but there is a holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, Women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from the before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day after it was is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. And then David said to Elimelech, uh, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in the cloth before the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. When life gets hard, feast on God's mercy. So David is on the run, and his first step is as a city called Nob. Now, what, what had happened here is that the, the priestly city had moved from Shiloh to Nob. The Shiloh, where we opened 1 Samuel, had been destroyed subsequently. But now the priestly city where the tabernacle dwelt was at Nob. And so we find the priest here. David runs into the presence of the priest, and immediately he, the priest is scared. David, what are you doing? David had a reputation, remember? Saul had killed his thousands, and David had killed what? His 10,000s. He was known as the mightiest warrior, literally, in all the land. David, what are you doing here? And David answers this way. Well, he said, the king has sort of sent me on this journey. The king has charged me with a matter, but nothing of any matter about which I send you and that which I have charged you. Put generously, David does not tell the full truth. Put bluntly, he lies. Here you have a man after God's own heart. Again, it is, a pro- it is a process of trusting. And even because I trust yesterday, it doesn't mean that I'm going to inherently trust God today. I made a good decision two weeks ago, but now I'm, my flesh is raging. My fear is boiling. And in my own flesh, I come up with a human excuse and rationale. He's not telling the truth. He's lying. He's sinning. He's a man after God's own heart who is filled with the Holy Spirit, but he is choosing to sin. Now, in a way, I'm thankful because it normalizes David, right? None of us are perfect. None of us go a day without sinning, which is why confession and repentance should be a part of our daily process. David had taken his eyes off of God, even as he was in the house of God talking to a man of God. 
The only perfect person to ever live was Jesus. We all need the gospel, amen? We all need the grace and the mercy of God. Now, we, are, we, are called, we aren't called to be perfect necessarily, but we are called to be pursuing perfection. That's called sanctification. Knowing that every time we fall short, that God's grace will cover it, that God's mercy is enough. As we confess and repent, that there is no sin that you've committed that God's grace can't cover. Where are you pursuing today? So I pray that today we can exhale in the reality that none of us in this room is perfect, amen? We all walked in here sinners in need of a savior. It is a level playing field. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The details of our sins might be different, but our need for our deliverer is all the same. David was scheming to solve his problem in his own hands. What problems in your life are you scheming to try to solve in your own way today? We need to do less fleshly scheming and more faithful trusting. That's the heart of the matter. It's a heart issue. Where is your focus? When life gets scary, when you're not sure, he's like, don't tell anybody. He didn't want Elimelech to sell him out. David asked for some food because he has a physical need for provision. In your physical need for provision, maybe you have a, a bill that's coming up. Maybe you have a, a food running, whatever it is, a car issue. Are you scheming to solve it in your own way right now? Or are you going to the Lord and saying, God, I need you to try. I trust you. Lead me. Speak to me how you want me to handle this. He asked for normal common bread, which should have been in the tabernacle that day, but it wasn't. The most likely reason the common bread was not present was because the people of God were probably not tithing the amount that God had called them to tithe. The spiritual level had been drip dipping, and so the tithing had been lacking most likely. Therefore, there was not the money to make the common bread for people that David should have been normally able to eat. And honestly, isn't that the case for the reality of all of us? That when life gets hard or something happens that we don't really like or a bill comes up, what's the first thing to go? Oh, I got to pay this bill. There goes my tithe. It should never be that way. Trusting God means God gets my first, my best, above him, and no matter what. Are you trusting God with your money? Enough to, as a heart of worship, feasting on his mercy and his grace, giving to God what is God, which is off the top. Old Testament says 10%. New Testament says be generous, very generous. Or when an unexpected bill or an unexpected hardship or an unexpected thing comes up, it's your tithe, the first thing to go. That's a big sign that you're not trusting God. He will provide. The priest offers then David the holy bread. He says, if the guys were clean, what he means is ceremonially clean. If they haven't had any interactions with women in a physical sense, and David assures them that they haven't. So the, David, the priest gives them the holy bread, the bread of the presence. This is a big deal. More on that in a split second. And also we see in verse 8, or verse 7, excuse me, we see that there's this guy there by the name of Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. It might sound random at the time, but if you watch any drama show, imagine the, the camera focusing on Doeg, some ominous music playing, right? And you know, huh, he's going to be a key character later, which he is. He, was a, he turned out to be a spy for Saul. He was not a friend of David. He was an Edomite. Edomites were descendants of Esau. David asks Elimelech if there are any weapons there, and he goes, all he got is Goliath's sword. We don't know exactly why Goliath's sword was there, but it was there, and he, David goes, I'll take that. So back to the bread of the presence. You'll see a picture of it behind me right here. It's also known as showbread. 
It's a special bread always present day by day, made fresh and hot on the tabernacle, at the tabernacle or later the temple. God gave instructions for it in Exodus 25, Leviticus 24. Um, it signified that God's presence always met his people in the tabernacle, amen? God provides, there were 12 loaves, six on each side, meant to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, that for God's people, God's presence was always enough and his provision was always enough. Meaning that whatever hardship you're facing, God's presence and his provision are enough and that we can trust in that, amen? That we can literally, as a piece of bread, feast on it. That it's enough, no matter what the world says, no matter how hard it is, no matter what fears might be filling my heart, that the gospel is enough. That my identity is not in what anybody else says, but what Jesus has already done. My identity is not what I do, but what Jesus did. Technically, the rules in the law said that it was to be reserved for only the priests to eat. So technically, David should have not been given it or eaten it, but Elimelech gave it to him anyway. So you might be going, huh, did the priest sin by giving the bread of the presence to David? Great question, Angie. I appreciate you asking. You're thinking it. Everybody else is. <laughs> the answer is no. Why? Because Elimelech chose to honor the heart of the law over the letter of the law. To the point that we emphatically know he was in the right and not in the wrong for doing this because Jesus refers to it in the New Testament. It is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What's happening in the Matthew passage of this is that Jesus was in the grain fields on the Sabbath and the disciples were hungry. They began to pluck grain and eat it themselves. And the Pharisees saw it. They called Jesus out for breaking the law of the Sabbath. And here's how Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. He said, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would, have not, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark's version of this, Jesus says, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is that the law is great and it's important, but it is not the absolute. It is a means to an end. The law is meant to point us to the Lord. The law is meant to point us to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the law. He's not the replacement for it. He is the fulfillment of it. What is the fulfillment? When he goes to the cross, because the law pointed out our deficiencies, how we fall short and how we are in need desperately of God's grace and God's mercy because I can't live a perfect life in one sin. One sin is enough to give me the eternal consequence of damnation apart from God and life in hell forever, which is what you and I deserve. Amen? But God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, in his wonderful act of mercy, mercy being taking away something that we do deserve, grace being giving us something that we don't deserve. Mercy and grace met perfectly at the cross where Jesus took away the punishment for our sins, put it on himself and said, put it on my account as justification, then allowing us through that payment process that Jesus makes 
to be looked at by God just as if we had not sinned. Because when God looks at us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus clothing us. Amen. Praise God. And he gives us the opportunity to have eternal life with God. And maybe that's something that you need or are looking for today. But religion points to the law, or the relationship with God points to the Lord. God wants your heart. He wants a heart of righteousness, not your habits of religion. The gospel is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not about religious habits of doing good or keeping up with the Joneses. And in that personal relationship, when you trust someone, you can understand the reality that we all need Jesus. You can be authentic. He desires mercy. Law points to the Lord, which means ultimately the law is a system pointing to the Savior. And the ultimate commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says the heart of the Lord is when I see someone in need, I will meet that need. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over sacrifice. Are you stuck in a legalistic pattern of law, law, law? Or are you here today to embrace the grace of the gospel? It points to our Savior. Praise God for that, amen. Trusting God comes through a personal relationship with God, not the cold religion about God. This giving of the bread in, the, in, in 1 Samuel 21 points directly to Jesus Christ and the gospel. It is an act of mercy. It is an act of grace. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he himself, Jesus says this in John 6, for the bread of God he, for, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. Amen. Would you feast today on the mercy of God in your life? The first step to trusting God. David was struggling with trusting. He was in the house of the God, and he was, love, he was lying. He needed God's mercy to even in that moment remove the punishment for his sins, which God did by sending Jesus. Feasting on the mercy of God has this, has this pattern of, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to repent of my sins before God. I'm going to surrender my life to God. And then I'm going to choose to obey God with all that I have. Where in that pattern do you need help today? Do you need a next step on the journey to trust? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to trust? Where do you need to surrender? Where do you just need to sit here in the feast on God's mercy that you walked in here feeling guilt or shame and you just need to sit and feast in the reality that God's mercy covers up your mess and he embraces your mess. And God's grace is here to cover your guilt and to pay the price for your sin. Today, hope is found in every situation as you trust and feast on God's mercy and the provision of God and with the humility enough to run to God and say, I need to confess my sins and I need to repent. And it's not about me being right. It's about me desiring to be righteous and to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's mercies are new every morning. Lamentation says they never run out. And trusting God is with me and for me sustains me in a world full of difficulty and adversity. 
The second choice we need to make after we choose to feast on God's mercy is to choose to cling to God's character. Again, it's a process of trust. Look at me at verse 10 of chapter 21. Then David rose and he fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much, what's the next word in your Bible? Afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and, and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you need to bring, brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And he lets David go. As David continues his journey of wrestling with trusting God, again, I find the humanization of David just a relief and a reprieve to my own heart. David has championed God so many times. He's trusted in God in the biggest moments. I will stand before Goliath. But now he's on the run, and maybe you feel like you're on the run, and you had a great faith moment a year ago or two years ago. But man, you've drifted from the Lord, and first he found himself lying, and now he finds himself fearful. And when you're fearful, you respond in a fleshly way, and you don't really make a lot of rational decisions, do you? Because where did David go to run to, for safety? He went to the land of the Philistines. He went to the land of Gath. You know who else was from Gath? Goliath. You really think David could blend in there? No. He had subsequently, even after Goliath, killed many, many thousands of Philistines. David's picture was probably plastered on the post office in Gath saying, most wanted. And not only that, he brought Goliath's own sword to Gath. So he's not thinking very clearly. If you want to be in ambiguity, I would not go to my arch enemy and I would not go to the hometown of the guy that I killed, their champion. But he went there anyway. And he got noticed. And then in verse 12, he got very afraid. He wasn't afraid when he faced Goliath in the battlefield days, weeks, months before. But he was afraid now. And so if you're afraid of whatever you're facing at work, at home, at church, in your life, whatever, David gets you. He was probably spooked by seeing Doeg at the the tabernacle and ran. When you get thrown off kilter, where do you run? To God and God's word and God's people? Or do you try to make it up on the fly as you go? What are you running from today? that you just need to face and trust God with a heart of humility and a heart of openness and a heart of brokenness, frankly. A struggling marriage, a financial crisis, a sticky situation at church, at work, at home, relational tension, past pain. David gets you. The direct application of this text is tomorrow at work in a hard place, don't act insane. (laughs) But it is to trust God. Because in these moments, what happens here is a turning point. We see David's fleshly fear replaced with faith as he trusts his overcomer in the midst of many, many obstacles. How do we know this? Well, turn with me if you would, if you want to keep a finger for a statement to Psalm 56. We're going to look at three different Psalms quickly during different periods of the rest of the message. We don't have time to do a deep dive. I would encourage you 
strongly to spend some time meditating on these three Psalms, 56, 34, and 57, that we're going to look at at periods over the next message, at the remaining parts of our message. Because in this, we see David's heart. We see the journey and the process. And again, part of trusting someone is the opportunity to be choosing to be vulnerable with them. To go, I'm not perfect. Here's where I'm fearful. It's not a sin to be fearful, guys. We're all fearful. David's fearful. It's choosing to trust God in the middle of our fear, which then allows us to act in faith. I get scared of a lot of different things, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And sometimes I'm better than others, frankly, at going to God. I'm thankful for people in my life that encourage me to do that. Maybe even sometimes even stronger than encourage. As David continues to wrestle, we see him write. He writes this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in your soul takes refuge. He was writing this when he he was seeing God. Actually, that's 57, sorry. Here's 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for a man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. This is when he's facing the king of the Philistines in Gath. My enemies trample on me all day long. He's vulnerable in the reality that he is scared. For when I am afraid... He admits the reality to God that he's afraid. He has the humility to admit the reality of his heart. Do you today? That's part of trusting God. That's part of choosing to trust that God is for me and with me. I can go to God with the reality of my heart. When I am afraid, I will do what? I will put my trust in who? You. In God whose word I praise. I'm not going to look at man's praise. I'm not going to praise man's word. It's God's word. God wrote a book, 66 chapters. Every single word in here is from God, inspired by God, and we will stand on it and we will stand for it, and we will obey. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. You see that process. When I am afraid, I choose to trust, and I choose to go to God's word, and that turns my fear into faith. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause, for their thoughts are against me. They stir up strife. They lurk. Anybody feeling like that at work, at home, wherever, in the world? They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. For their crime will they escape, and wrath cast down the people's, oh, God. So here's a pathway to peace. We'll look at the rest of the psalm in a second that we see from Psalm 56, three steps. First, acknowledge my fear. We saw David do that in verse three, that weakness is actually our source of strength. Second Corinthians 12, Paul writes that. When I am weak, therefore I am strong. Where in your life do you need to admit the reality that you're afraid today? That is actually a very strong step of faith. And it unleashes the power of God into your life to actually do the heart work, which is hard work that he wants to do in you. It's not, it's, where are you being too proud to admit that you've you failed or sinned or screwed up? Look, we're all screw-ups. We all sin. We all fall short. The ground is level. We all need Jesus. We need to feast on his mercy. And we need to cling to his character because that's what David does here. He then chooses to trust. In God's word, I praise, and in God, I trust. I'm going to trust that God is merciful. That's his character. He doesn't just give mercy. He is merciful. I'm not just going to choose that God is going to, I'm not going to trust that God gives grace. He is, by definition, gracious. Amen? He is faithful. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He is the great I am. We can cling to that, and we must. When our world is shaking, we can take refuge in that. So I acknowledge my fear, I choose to trust, and what else do I trust? I trust his character, but look at verse 8. I can trust the reality that God cares for me. You have kept count of my tossings. Anybody tossing your bed recently? Stayed up all night worrying about something because God knows, and he cares. 
You put my tears in your bottle. What a beautiful image, right? That God knows the grief. That we have a savior who is acquainted with grief. That 2 Corinthians 1 says that God meets us in the middle of our misery and our trials and our storms and he comforts us in every single one of our afflictions so that we can then comfort others who are walking through the very same things that we are. Are they not in your book? God sees you, he knows you. And thirdly, then I cling and claim to God's character. Look at verse nine, there's a turning point right here. And in this day, when I, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call, when are my enemies going to flee? And they might be physical, they might be mental, they might be emotional enemies. I don't know. The battle ultimately is spiritual. Remember that. This I know that God is what? What's the next two words? God is for me. Remember, trusting that God is with me, God of the presence, we looked at that a second ago, and that God is for me right here, this I know, not, I don't have a question about it, but this I know with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, that God is for me, amen? And I will cling to that truth and that reality today and every day, and that will sustain me amidst every difficulty and every amount of adversity that I will face, mentally, physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, vocationally, you name it. This I know. God is for me. And in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Dave, you see this process of transformation. David, the text said in 1 Samuel, David was afraid. He's now writing this psalm in the middle of his time in the same situation and context. Now I will not be afraid. Why? Because I'm choosing to trust God, not myself. Huge step. I must perform my vows to you, God. And that leads to that point of reverence, leads to obedience. I will render thank offer. I will give. I will sacrifice. I will serve as an overflow of worship and reverence. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Isn't that awesome? So I want you to, let's do a quick little exercise. I'm going to say this I know. I want you to repeat back to me. God is for me, right? I'm going to say it. This I know that. God is for me. Okay. One more time. This I know that. God is Amen. And now I want you to take a split second and think about that thing that is on your heart that you're afraid of right now. And I'm going to say that thing one more time, and I want you to picture that thing, and I want you to claim the reality that God is for you, right? This I know that. Amen. Walk in that truth this week, amen. Walk in that reality of God's character, and if God is for you, Romans 8, what does that text say? Who can be against me? For we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Read Romans 8. Understand the reality that God is for us. And then choose to cling. And that'll give you the strength to face whatever you're facing or you're, whatever you're fighting with confidence from a humility of a point of dependency on God's sovereignty. We have an awesome God, amen. Trusting God is with me, God of the presence, bread of the presence, and he's for me. This I know that God is for me, sustains me, in a world full of difficulty and adversity. The third choice we need to make today is to seek God wholeheartedly. David flees Gath. He runs away from the Philistines and he, and he goes and he escapes to this cave of Abdullam. 
Verse chapter 22, and, and his brothers and his whole family joins him. So at this point, his brothers had departed the army of Saul. They joined him up there. And everyone, verse 2, they went to, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in the soul, they gathered to him. And David became captain over them. And there was with him about 400 men. God is building his church, amen? God is building his people. We see that all throughout these chapters, that when there's hardship, God is still working. He is still moving. That as we seek him, we will find him. And he is continuing to work, continuing to build. All of a sudden, now David has 400 men that he's captain over. By the end of this text, the end of this chapter, we're going to see that David doesn't just have men. He's going to have a priest and a prophet with him too. God is building his church. Even when it feels like the world is out to get him and people are literally trying to kill him, they can't stop the sovereignty and the power of our God. Amen? So we must seek him and trust him and move. And look who joins him. Everybody who's in distress, everyone who is in debt, all the outcasts, those who are hardships in the souls. Man, it's a, it's, it's a merry men of misfits. Isn't this the gospel, right? We're all in distress. We're all broken. We all need Jesus united together by the power of God to now live on mission for the glory of God. And we can accomplish anything and everything that God asks us to in his strength for his glory. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. And he's working and he's moving. And David, David's like, I need to get my parents out of here because he loves his parents. And so he went and he, verses three through five, it says he takes his parents and he takes them to Moab and he leaves him in Moab, and there in verse 5 of chapter 22, there's a prophet, Gad, who said to David, don't remain in the stronghold of Moab. Depart and go back into the land of Judah. Stop hiding out. Your parents are safe. Get back in the fight. Some of us need to hear that word today. You need to choose to face what is coming at you and not hide from it. Get out of the stronghold, because in the reality, you might be leaving the physical stronghold, but the spiritual stronghold, the shelter of God, goes with you wherever you are. Praise the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, you know, what's, you know who came from Moab originally? You know why he went to Moab? That's where his great-grandmother great Ruth was from. Remember her? The land of, so God is working. He's building. He uses all sorts of people, ordinary people, to do his extraordinary work. So on David's new journey, he's tr- to trusting. We now, even as he's evading Saul, we see that he's seeking God. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 34. You might recognize some of these verses in here. And again, we're not going to read every verse. I encourage you to read it on your own, but this text was written as David praised the Lord for saving him from the Philistines and Gath. So this context gives a whole new light to a lot of these verses that are very, very familiar to many, many of us. One, verse 34, chapter 34, one, I will bless the Lord at all times. You choosing to bless the Lord today? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is that you? A sign of trusting is that you're willing to worship that you choose to worship through the difficulty and the hardship of life. He had an unresolved conflict with Saul. He was still trying to actively kill him. Yet David chose to praise because he focused on God and what he did have versus what he didn't have. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Is your heart humble today to hear? A trusting heart is a humble heart. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears and those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. The world might try to heap shame on you, but the gospel takes it away from you, amen? As you're cloaked in the gospel, the sovereign righteousness of God, it's like a shield of faith protecting you from every fiery dart, Ephesians 6, that Satan and the world try to hurl at you 
So we have nothing to fear. In fact, we are radiant. We are glowing as we are reflecting the gospel in our own hearts and to each other, which is why we need to preach the gospel first and foremost to ourselves. David on the run sought the Lord. Prayer is the most powerful thing you do. The battles of life are won on our knees. Are you going to the Lord in prayer with a heart of humility, choosing to listen and then choosing to obey? In verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, feast on the mercy of God. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and who loved many days that he may see good? Verse 13, this is key. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Even when the world is out to get you, keep your tongue from evil. Is that you? Your lips from speaking deceit. Be careful what you text, type, post, say, email. Where's your heart? Turn away from evil. Look at these four steps. Do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Even when it's hard, seek peace peace. Pursue it proactively, and peace is made through the gospel. I'm not talking about worldly peace. I'm talking about gospel peace in your heart. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, because you can trust in him. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You can trust that the Lord God has your back. He's for you. And look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Guys, you can live the righteous life, but you can't escape the afflictions of this world. You will experience afflictions. We live in a broken world, and many, many of you are walking through mourning this morning for a variety of reasons. Maybe you've lost a relationship. Maybe you've lost physically a loved one. Maybe you've lost a goal for a future, but the Lord is near to you today, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Trust in his presence. Rest in the reality that he is with you that will sustain you through the difficulty and the adversity that you are walking through. God works all things for his good. He redeems our pain. He keeps all the bones, verse 20, not one of them is broken. Affliction will sway the wicked, and those of us who hate the righteous will be not be con- those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of us, those who take refuge in him, will be condemned. David is able to trust in God and have peace because he's looking at the end game. He's looking at eternity. He's looking at heaven. In this world, you will have trouble, but man, eternity is to come. There will be a time where there is no more weeping, crying, or sickness or illness. Amen. And that no one and nothing can take that away from us. He, God will redeem you when you stand before him. Trust in his promises. Anchor in them. Sit in his presence. Seek his face. That's how we trust. That's how David trusted. Will you choose to seek the face of God today? And whatever difficulty and hardship you're walking through, knowing that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Trusting God is with me and for me sustains me in a world full of difficulty. The fourth fourth and final choice to make today is to worship God steadfastly. As we go back to 1 Samuel, we see this reality happening in chapter 22 that Saul hears, verse 6, a little bit of a synopsis and we'll read portions of it. Saul hears that David has sort of been found and he gathers his troops and he chews them out. He chews them out. He's like, what, have you made a deal with David that you're not going to rat him out? Are you more aligned with David than with me? And then he goes... How come you let Jonathan make a covenant with David? Saul was way more concerned about his own credit and that he wants the glory. He says this really interesting thing to me in verse 8. He says, no one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Here's the key. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me. None of you is sorry for me. Isn't that interesting? When your heart is far from God, how easy it is and quickly we play the victim card. Why aren't you feeling sorry for me? 
Why aren't you sorry that my work situation's hard or that I'm going through it? Why aren't you sorry for me? Again, where's the focus? Me. World is hard, but our focus should always be on the Savior. Whose glory are you seeking? Saul is continually seeking his own glory. David wants to glorify God. So he, Doeg, our buddy from previously, is with him, and he speaks up, because none of Saul's own natural Israelite men. He goes, I saw David at Nob, and by the way, the, the, the priest, Elimelech, fed him and clothed him and gave him Goliath's sword. And Saul gets ticked, and he summons Elimelech, and, and basically, you can probably see the foreshadowing on the wall. Elimelech goes, I don't know why you're mad at David. What has David done? And Saul responds by giving an edict to his men to not just kill Elimelech, but to kill all the priests that came with him. David, Saul's own men will not do it because it is a ghastly sin. When your flesh is raging, guys, there's no throttle for what you will not do for yourself. But Doeg, our buddy, speaks, I'll do it. So he takes out a sword and he kills every single priest there and every single family. And he goes above and beyond that. He goes back to Nob and he destroys the city. The livestock, the animals, the kids, he wipes them out. But in verse 20, one of the sons of Elimelech escaped named Abathar. And he fled after David. Verse 21, Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew that one day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Check this verse 23. Stay with me. What are the next four words? Do not what? Be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. The same guy that previously in the chapter before was very afraid himself. The same guy who even made up a little lie, or a big lie, depending on how you look at it. All lies are sins. To try to cover his own without just trusting the Lord is now like, I've seen the goodness of God. He has been with me in the caves and in the mountains. He has been with me to Moab and back. He's been with me to the Philistine country and back. And our God is faithful. David's like, he's appointed me king, and I can't see it right now because the guy's trying to kill me. I believe that he's going to fulfill that promise. So with me, you're going to be safe. You're going to live because I have to survive to get, become king. And in this moment, the priestly aspect of the country of Israel shifts from Saul to David. He has a priest named Abiathar. He has a prophet named Gad. He has 400 men. God is building his church, amen? He's beginning to build his new thing even as the world was crashing in around him. Well, what is David's heart? Turn with me to Psalm 57. He wrote this while he was in the cave. He spends a couple different times in the caves of Abdullah. So it's not 100% clear which time he specifically wrote this, but it's about this time frame. He says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Isn't that beautiful? Will you trust God enough to take refuge in him? I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the God most high, to God who, who fulfills his purpose for me. Trust in God, surrendering to God, ask God to fulfill his purposes for you as opposed to trying to fulfill your purposes and lay them on God and say, God, I'm gonna do this. No, it's surrendering them and saying, God, do whatever you wanna do in me, through me, for me. Have your way. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a heart of worship. Worship is exalting God over all. 
and looking to him in all. I cry out to God the most high who fulfills my, his purpose for me. What a promise. He will send from heaven. He will save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Isn't it amazing? Whatever you're walking through, the reality that God's steadfast love is enough for you. Steadfast means it's unchanging and it's faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. Maybe you feel that way today. The external, David's like, I know that the lions might not go away. I know your, bought, your work situation might not get easier. The, the health report you get this week might not be good. The situation at home might get worse. But this I know that God is for me. I lie down amidst fiery beasts whose children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, even in that situation. When others are trying to kill me, you can be exalted. Why? But your glory be all over the earth. They set a net for my steps. My souls were bowed down. They dug a pit. They've fallen into it themselves. Praise God. Verse seven, here's a key. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Here's a choice to sing, a choice to worship. I will sing and I will make melody. Even when I'm surrounded, I will sing. Even in my mess, I will make a melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. A heart of worship is a choice to trust God and pursue the glory of God in every season and in every situation. When you pursue the glory of God, when you pray for the glory of God, God will answer that prayer and he will act. Amen. In your difficulty and your adversity, will you pray this week that God will be glorified? He will answer that. His purposes will be accomplished. It might be hard. It might not be the way that you want it. You might not even be able to see it. You might not even be able to really want to walk it. But our God is with you and our God is for you and he will strengthen you as you humble yourself under him, repent to him, and choose to worship and obey him. Praises of God go out amongst the nations. Isn't that awesome? In this text, 1 Samuel 21 and 22, we have seen the glory of God through David's ups and downs resound with the Israelites, the Edomites, the Philistines, and the Moabites. They won't all respond. They won't all return, but they have all seen the glory of God. And as you choose to act and trust and obey, as you choose to, in every season and situation, rest that God is with you and trust that he is for you and look to him for your sufficiency and choose to anchor in his steadfastness. They will see God in you through you and that is the ultimate purpose of life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And I promise you today, he will make your path straight. Straight to him. Not straight your desires, but his purposes. Where do you need to trust God? Where do you need to stop and repent for leaning on your own understanding? Where do you need to ask for help? Where do you need to repent? And where do you need to choose to praise today? Lift up your eyes, lift up your heart, and allow God to do the work in you and through you that he promises he will as we surrender fully to him. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the goodness of God and the grace of man. I just, pray, I, I just praise you that you are enough and that you are sufficient. Life is hard, God, but we have hope in you. God, today, help us to choose to feast on your mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us to cling to your character. Help us to seek your face and help us to worship wholeheartedly, steadfastly. God, there are some areas in many and most, if not all of our lives, where our steadfastness has shifted. We've wavered. We've wandered. And in this moment, 
I pray that we would once again choose to anchor in the rock of Jesus Christ and the uncompromising and unconditionally loving word of your holy scriptures. Father God, we love you and help us to walk in the light as we experience the light of your son. Forgive us, God, for trying to figure out our stuff our way and to do it our way, God. Not our will, but yours be done. Show us, God, us, lead us, strengthen us, and send us, God, for the glory of your name, not our own. God, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.